Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world. We got a lot going on in the business of crypto, not just there, but certainly worldwide. There's just a lot happening, and we'll do our best to try to cover as much as we can on today's episode. This is not specific or unique or exclusive to the crypto business, and I want to be clear. There's a lot more going on than what's happening to cryptocurrency. This is a broader problem, and I want to do what I can to cover, and just so we're clear, um, there was a lot that I discovered and learned today, and I want to share that as well as it possibly denotes future things for basic cryptonomics. But let's get into some of the news. Of course, the big news at the top of the hour is that Russia did proceed with its invasion of Ukraine. And if you're not following it, I did give some coverage on Gentleman's World to the podcast at CryptoTalkRadio.net if you want to listen to my thoughts on it. And I did suspect that that we don't have the leadership we need to prevent what we now see. And uh, that prediction came true. I just, I don't have confidence in the current leadership to have avoided what happened. It felt like it was kind of inevitable. I was still optimistic, but just there's, I'm not confident in the current leadership. And we see that now it's just a bunch of talking back and forth. Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin's taking action that he feels is necessary. Now, the big thing about this is that what I think people in the United States in particular don't understand, and if you're not in the United States, this is my moment to share my thoughts from watching it at a distance. Bette Midler, 1984, I believe. I've been watching the situation since the Soviet Union, and to me, I think what in the United States we don't understand is that Putin is not alone in what he believes. I think a lot, there's a, there's a I don't want to say paranoia, but there's a concern about the encroach from NATO and the thought that it's kind of like the Borg, you know, on Star Trek, it's kind of the Borg. It's like they're just trying to take over everybody and then impose their own values and principles. And some people just don't want it. We saw this in Afghanistan where there just was a resistance and then they install this government who's basically a shell government. And then what happens? The Taliban take it over again and we lose American troops on the way out because the current administration didn't know what they were doing. It didn't follow the game plan. But the truth is that it fell so quick because they never truly embraced it. They never went all in. It was fragile. We, we tried, we sent money over there. We did everything we could. And at the end of the day, there was just a, a resistance to that kind of thought process. I personally don't believe democratic society is a good fit for every single country. Do I understand why they try to do it? Sure. I just don't think every country is a fit. I don't think it'll fit in Korea. I'm talking all Korea, not just North. I don't think it's going to fit in Russia or any of the outlying countries there. I just don't think it's a good fit everywhere. Sometimes some countries work better in monarchies. Some people work best with dynasties. Some people work best because they feel that safety of what they've known and what they've been comfortable with. I mean, geez, China, they really haven't let go of the, where they were from decades ago. So I, I think that trying to force those values in other countries has been the wrong answer and has largely contributed to these these kinds of tenuous situations, past and present. And nobody knows where this is going to go. Nobody knows how far it goes. The last I heard was that they had taken back over Chernobyl. And then the fear there is, of course, Chernobyl was the plant that in 1986 had the major explosion that caused catastrophe uh, after it happened. And then they built the sarcophagus over top of it to contain it. But does that bring back the rise of nuclear weapons, which, of course, demilitarization has always been a priority since, you know, the Cold War and World War II. And so then do things start back up? And the the biggest fear I think people should have is, are the military still the same? I don't think that society is as prepared for war as we might have been 
specifically like World War II, where you just had, first of all, there was no social media influencing you or using fear-based science or anything to terrify you. But more importantly, you did you you had a patriotism that I think is lacking today in the Western countries, quote unquote. That we see protests against the government, against what Canada just did with Trudeau and the truckers. We saw protests in the UK with some of the lockdowns. We saw protests in Australia and Ireland and then in the US. We see that there's been this pushback against the governments and the way that they were acting, which has caused a loss of patriotism and loyalty to your own country. We saw in when President Trump at the time was about to take office and he won the election, we saw celebrities come out and tell people, yeah, I'm just going to go to another country. And that's not loyalty to your country. We saw CIA agents come out and say, you know, I'm not taking a bullet for this guy. I think we've lost a sense of loyalty to one's own country from flag burning and trampling up on flags to burning down buildings and hurting our fellow man and, you know, cops and everything. All of this, I think, was hit a fever pitch where and a lot of it we can attribute to social media's influence. To be fair, honest, a lot of the people who are in office in many of these countries, they, you know, they started it. I know that some of them want to try to quote the song, we didn't start the fire, it was always burning since the world's been turning. But the truth is, I don't think we've ever been in a situation where we've been as fragmented and disconnected as a, as a culture than now. It's, it's at a fever pitch. I'm trying to think back. Not even Cold War was it this like internally fragmented where I think such unrest was created because of the actions of our governments that now everything is at risk. If you think about it, everything's at risk. This situation with Russia and Ukraine has broad reaching ramifications. We don't know from investments, crypto or otherwise, what the impact's going to be and how long it would take to rebuild, more importantly. And you got to think about 2022 November and the blowout we expect. And will that help repair it? Well, we're a long way away from that, which now we have somebody in office who basically sucks at negotiation and throws out threats and sanctions, but doesn't really do anything to fix the problem, which I'm not defending Vladimir Putin, but he's been very clear. He basically said, look, if you want to avoid war, this is what you got to do. And then we just basically said, that's not going to work for us, brother. And I don't know that if given a choice, it's like avoid war or balls up. Like I, to me, it's like, let's avoid war. Let's get back to the table and let's talk it out. But it doesn't seem like that's on the docket for the current uh, administration in the U S at least. And it seems like the UK is kind of following what the U S said and other countries are kind of like whatever the U S says, which really pisses me off. And then NATO of course is kind of saying, well, we still need to do what we're doing and we believe in what we're doing and we're going to keep pushing forward. But at the same time, you know, lives are being put at risk. And so it's something to watch. If you're in cryptocurrency, it interests you, it affects you, and I would encourage you to at least follow it, even at a high level. If your concern is what source is best to follow it, I can't really answer that very well. I will say, unlike what happened with the 2020 election, the Associated Press seems to have done a very good job in unbiased coverage of the Russia-Ukraine situation. I've verified what they've said against independent sources, and they seem to be pretty credible with that coverage, unlike the election. So... I would recommend you look at the Associated Press first and foremost to kind of follow it. They don't have very much opinion on it, and they do a good job about the history behind it. If you happen to be involved in boxing, the other thing that came out, of course, Vitaly Klitschko, who was known during the domination of the Klitschko era, he became a mayor out there in Kiev. And so he is there 
in right at the at the front lines and Kiev is is kind of the target or we believe it's the target for what Russia's invasion is going to happen. And so he's kind of put out a plea to the large countries to say, hey, can you help us out here? The challenge is that NATO can't really get involved because Ukraine is not part of NATO. And NATO's articles have said, we'll get involved if it's another NATO country. If it's not a NATO country, we have to all agree that it's something we want to take that risk. And pretty much there's countries that don't believe that it's worth the risk and the additional potential lies that are put at risk. The UK has basically said, you know what, we got to do something here. And U.S. has said we got to do something here. Some of the other ones are like, well, let's think this through. So they're not on the same page. Everybody agrees it's kind of a risky thing that's going to affect us from an economy perspective worldwide. We all agree that it's a from a moral perspective, there's something should be done. I think most people just said, why can't we just talk this out? Why does it have to be to this point? And the concern about why we're just talking and throwing sanctions and why aren't we at the table getting this thing resolved and why did it get to the point that this was allowed to happen when we heard from at least Putin's side that, yeah, we can, I'll stop it, but you got to agree to my terms. And then we just basically said, screw you. So Vitaly Klitschko, if you're a fan of boxing, Vitaly Klitschko, he was, he was up there in the boxing world and he's at the front lines. Now he became that mayor and he's on the front talking about, I may take up arms myself because he's serious about the job and he's worked hard in his career. So that's a sad thing to also hear and think about. I would, again, keep eyes and ears on the developments as they go because it does affect you. If you are in crypto in any form, it affects you. If you have any stocks, it affects you. If you have 401k, it affects you. If you need gas in your car at some point, it affects you. If your home is heated by natural gas, it affects you. No matter how you slice it, cut it or weigh it, it affects you in some way, and I would do recommend you follow it. To that end, Ukraine, they did their martial law. I briefly talked about talked about that uh, a little bit before, um, they basically blocked the issuance of the digital money because one thing that was being planned and chatted was creating a digital currency. When the martial law was declared, part of that also said, let's let's suspend this whole digital cash talk. It's not the time. we got to get something else in the whole martial law conversation. You might think, well, why would they do that? It's because what they're trying to do is they're trying to get everything to focus get all the money centralized and make sure that money is not locked down. Cause what happens is we don't know with the sanctions. So one thing with the United States in particular, the sanctions they were trying to do is to lock out accounts to make it harder to fund what they're doing from Russia and make it difficult for money to flow. And the thought was if we start doing the digital money and you start blocking that down, you could start creating additional issues. And so the government, there's a chatter that the government would have to possibly seize deposits for people. And if you have the digital currency, I talked about this on a past episode, the risk that, you know, if everything goes to a digital currency, that makes it much easier because it's digital for people to take drastic actions in government to lock people's accounts whenever they feel like it. This is one of the reasons and one of the examples of what I was talking about. So I'm not going to say it's a good thing or a bad thing. I simply call it out to be aware. This is wartime tends to have an impact on currency in general. Cryptocurrency at the point is somewhat insulated if you are in a wallet. Now, I talked about in wallets versus exchanges that if you are stuck in an exchange, your money is potentially at risk, especially if the exchange is perfectly subject to regulations by a given government and they have the agreement with the government to lock assets per the direction of the government, your currency could be at risk. And so you want to be very careful about, again, if you're going to be in cryptocurrency, even if you're not in anywhere in that region, 
I'm saying that ideally you would have your crypto stored in an, in a wallet, not an exchange. This type of lockdown is what's at risk and what's potentially able to happen if you're not careful and you don't know. You don't know with some exchanges what agreement is or isn't uh, in play there. So that's something to just watch out for. And I would be, I would be, wouldn't be shocked if I saw some exchanges start announcing certain accounts being restricted because of these martial law announcements. The other point on this is that Russia was talking about using Bitcoin to hedge off some of the sanctions. The sanctions, again, are designed to mitigate the flow of funds to make it harder for Russia to conduct its, its war and its strategy and everything else. Some of the theory is that what they would say is, well, we'll just use Bitcoin and transact Bitcoin to build up the funds that we need in order to continue what we're doing. And of course, because cryptocurrency is largely unregulated, there's nothing stopping them from doing it. Now, of course, what you could have is a situation where people ethically or morally refuse to conduct business with those in Russia, but you'd have no way of knowing. If somebody has Bitcoin in their wallet, Bitcoin is currently the highest demand cryptocurrency of all cryptocurrencies, easily bar none. So if somebody has it in their wallet and they want to trade it for, you know, however many hundreds of thousands of dollars or, you know, millions or whatever, nothing's going to stop those greedy people from doing it. And we know that there's always this level of greed with respect to, you know, war. I said it on another episode that when you talked about the gold rush, the people who were selling the tools to do it, they made way more money than the people who were actually mining gold. In wartime, the people who provide the weapons, the people who fund the operations, the people who allow the transactions and allow the currency exchange, they're the ones who make out. And they're, the greed is there. The greed is a human thing. So we don't know if that's going to really be a thing or won't be a thing. We suspect that there are going to be greedy people that are willing to trade Bitcoin, even though it's helping fund this wartime effort. Now, we have to keep an eye on this one because we don't know exactly how that's going to work, again, because it'll be very difficult for them to pull it off unless they were in an exchange. We'll have to see what that looks like in the big picture. It could be a nothing, but we don't know what to play it by ear. There was a NFT scam, and to the point of NFTs, if you heard my past episode, I said that people are having, they're starting to have the conversations about the valuation of NFTs and how do we get better at putting a price on NFTs and what do they mean and what do they really mean to people. And having some sort of utility behind NFTs or physical product helps increase the value, at least to people who are trying to buy and sell them. And music is one. I actually spoke to a guest on Gentleman's World very recently. Her episode is going to air this Monday and she's in NFTs pretty hot and heavy and she believes very solidly in NFTs and crypto and Web3, and I would love to have her on the show. Um, she's expressed interest on potentially coming on the show on Basic Cryptonomics to have a conversation with folks. Um, so we're going to try to see if we can get that done because I think she's in it deeper than anybody else. But her involvement in NFTs is an evolution, I think, of where it started. She's kind of ahead of the game, in my opinion. And perhaps other people have kind of inklings of the idea, but I don't think anybody's executed it like with Nas and some of these other ones. And Snoop just recently talked about his line. I think some of these artists are getting creative with how they use NFTs. <laughs> and one of these groups of artists happens to be adult film stars. And unfortunately, some of these adult film stars don't have the best of intentions with their NFTs as recently adult film star Lana Rhodes. There, she's being accused of having stolen $1.5 million worth of Ethereum 
and it was around a NFT project and the, what she had built. And I don't know if she coordinated with somebody else. I'm pretty sure she did. Cause I remember seeing this a couple of days ago, but uh, apparently what happened is she has this line that are cartoon images of herself. Now, of course, the fact that she's an adult film star creating cartoon images of herself, it's difficult to connect the dots because when you think cartoon images, you don't necessarily associate an adult film star. Regardless, this was a project. I don't know the full deets behind it, but she's already said, you know, I, this is not me. I didn't do it. I know that it happened, but I didn't do it. Communities become negative and rude. Of course, I've talked about toxicity on my past episode and ego and how toxicity is bred because the business, crypto general, cryptocurrency in general, the business promotes toxicity when you use influencers. And when influ- I'm talking true influencers, again, that don't care about you, that don't care about your investment, that don't treat you like an investor, and they're just out for their own self-interest, those types of inve- influencers, to me, I believe, are the reason for toxicity because what they've done is they've tempted people to take a risk with no fundamentals behind it. I would personally classify her in that category of an influencer where she had this project, she sold it and said, this is a valuable investment. And it wasn't really about the art necessarily. There wasn't anything behind it. She was using kind of her follower base, which came from the adult film industry and stuff that she did in adult films. And she banked on the idea that because you were attracted to her from an adult film perspective, this is going to be a good uh, investment for you. Now, she had long since, I'm pretty sure had long since retired from the business and then was trying to build a family, started having children, and then was doing more on the influencer side with social media. And then, of course, got into uh, NFTs and then was trying to, again, build a different business to do this. Allegedly, and this is the message that what she said, I don't have proof of this. I'm quoting what I see from her messaging. Allegedly, what she said is that once she left the business, she was left with $2,000. She didn't have any other job. She had a kid and she was basically, I don't want to say begging, but she was strongly requesting people to buy her NFTs. And I don't know what, I don't know what this is. I don't know anything beyond this because I know that she walked away from the business with a pretty good amount of money. Because I, I know people in the business and I know when you get to a certain level of success, how much money you can expect to make based on the amount that you filmed and the amount that you participated. So I don't have facts around her being expensive. All I know is that she does this. She does the NFT project. A bunch of people buy it. And something happened where she was involved with people, talking to people and did all this stuff and said, this is what it is. And this is going to be a no big thing and metaverse and all this stuff. And then suddenly she disappears and she drains the liquidity behind these things. Now it's hard to envision. How can you drain the liquidity from the, the NFTs? But remember that as you trade the NFTs, ultimately there's, there's value behind them. So there's value that is built and behind them in order to mint them, but also to have them be a thing and be able to sell and buy them. So there's always value there. We don't know that it was her directly that pulled it. We know that it was her project and we assume because it's her project that somebody took it. So this 500 ETH, about 1.5 million gets taken out of the pool. One of the users says, look, I, you know, 
I basically spent my whole life savings left on this thing, which I, I will tell you guys again, please do not ever spend more than you should. Don't spend more than you can afford to lose. Don't do that. Because when you do that, this is the risk of crypto. The influencer doesn't care about you individually. They care about profit. That's the challenge of influencers. And that's what breeds the toxicity. So please don't invest what you can't afford to lose. Don't do that because you never know. And when this person reaches out to Rhodes and says, hey, I, you know, I lost my money here. Can I give him money back? And Rhodes basically didn't care and basically said, you know what? You need, probably need to spend a little bit less money on your diapers because something's going on here. Somebody else came back and said on her behalf, somebody representing her said, you know what? I'm done with the project. Basically, I'm not I'm moving on because it's too toxic. She says, I didn't pull the money but it's her account and it's her deal. And, but she chooses to move on, but you have the money. Why aren't you getting money back? And did you not care what's going on? So it's a whole big situation, but what it does is it sets a pretense. It also tells us the same thing that we've been repeating on this show and elsewhere. I'm sure you've heard of the reason that you're not supposed to invest more than you can afford to lose. When you do that, you're putting yourself at significant risk because these people don't care about you, whether it's a token dev or an NFT project. You're not sure when an influencer tries to shill you on a thing. You're never sure. So if you invest in something, make sure it's throwaway money. You might really like it as a fan. You might think you're supporting that artist particularly, but ultimately you can never know. You really can't ever know. My biggest problem with this isn't necessarily her career choice or any of that stuff. It's the fact, if you listen to my previous episode, I said that situations like this, the commodity of NFT, everything that's happened to NFT has diluted the business and it's made it harder for the strong projects to show up. But I also said, remember, the ones that seem like they're likely to succeed are the ones that have some true utility behind them, whether that's a physical product or something that you have unique rights to a cartoon image of a thing or like with the other girl and it's her holding up a sign. Like I struggle with the value of those as opposed to true artistic works that are truly unique where you can own the master of something or you can own the original, you know, creation of something, something that has unique value. Everybody has their own perspective as far as what value is. I'm saying that when you dilute the product in this way to say anybody can spin up an NFT, and you do it to this degree and then people buy in because you're banking on your follower count to sell it, I think it makes the brand look bad and then it makes it harder for real creators to get their products sold. I also think because we've turned NFTs, we made them easier to mint. We've made it basically free and there's no disincentive to doing it. I think that's going to cause some problems as well. I don't know where it all goes. I'm not in a position to speculate. I'm saying that in a perfect world, we would not, as just investors, we would not just jump on something because we like a person. We would have true perception of value of the art that they're trying to promote, whether that's music or painting or whatever it is. On another note, Safe Moon. Safe Moon's a subject of a class action lawsuit. And you're like, well, cryptocurrency is not regulated. This is true. But as I've said before, if you heard my coverage of Made a Bull Run and Terrarium, 
and those BS lines in their terms and conditions and say, this ain't an investment. If you, we don't have to give you liquidity. We're going to lose whatever. And I said, that's crap. You absolutely are investing, and they are not. You should ignore that line because they're FOS if they try to do that to you, full of, you know. Well, yes, you can be sued. This is important for you to understand. You can be sued if there are problems in the way that the project works, irrespective of the regulatory situation, because you have rights in things like bait and switch. You have rights in terms of how money flows. You have rights in terms of what is truly an investment, which I said, if you give something of value, which is usually money with the expectation of an increase of value, that is an investment period, point blank. They cannot tell you what is not. You have the right to sue as long as you can find them. You have the right to sue if there's an improper, right? A pump and dump, let's say an improper increase and decrease in value lost over time. This is, this is something that every token needs to understand as well. It can happen. This is partly why some of them don't want a KYC. So safe moon is getting this lawsuit and the, the premise behind this is false and misleading statements made to investors. Does this sound familiar? It's because almost every, not all, but almost every token makes false and misleading statements. And we on basic cryptonomics, we do our best to try to call these out when we see them because we want the smoke. If the token provider wants to come on the show and tell us and explain to us why what they're saying is the truth, we're happy to hear it. Many of them don't because they're afraid to get exposed when they're eventually going to yank it on you. So this class action lawsuit, this was filed about a week ago. And Apparently, it's around the use of influencers. And when I say influencers, I'm talking the true shills. I'm talking legitimate shills. Names. Jake Paul. Everybody knows Jake Paul, at least has heard him by name if you have not. Jake Paul is a YouTuber. He puts silly garbage on his YouTube. He also happens to be a boxer in his spare time. He is most known for knocking out guys that are not true boxers very recently. Uh, Nick Carter. I'll be honest with you. All I knew of Nick Carter was he was on Nickelodeon at one point. He dated Mariah Carey in a bizarre period of time at another point. He used to be a rapper and then got clowned by a real rapper at some point. Other than that, I know nothing more about the I know he had a, a show, uh, all that or something like that. That's all I knew about the dude. And I'm like, why is this guy any famous? And I think it was Nickelodeon, maybe. And then Soldier Boy, of course, is a rapper. So there's these big names. These are not quiet names. These are big names in the industry. Jake Paul has tons of followers. Nick Carter has tons of followers for some reason. Soldier Boy has an unreasonable number of followers. And as they shill these various projects, and Safe Moon is one of those, among many, as they shill these projects and then something happens, then eventually you're going to get some very serious people who are saying, nope, enough. I'm tired of this garbage. Now, the interesting thing about the person who filed this is this guy was previously in a lawsuit that he's gone against Google. <laughs> so if you have the balls to go against Google, I'm, I'm pretty confident he is pretty serious. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that is. There's a bunch of people that are going against this deal. There's a bunch of people that are trying to push this forward. And there's a couple other names that are involved. Um, ben Phillips, I know that name, but I've never, I never dealt. He's somewhat in UK. I never heard of him beyond that. Uh, Nick Carter, Backstreet Boy, and this I swear. Uh, um, Jessica, whatever her name is. Uh, Little Yachty, no idea who that is. So it's a couple people there. And then the business behind Safe Moon. So here's the main thing 
They were saying that the tokenomics were misleading, that the reflections are misleading, the burning is misleading, and that there's not really a scarcity. I want to explain why they're feeling this is a problem. One thing I've had an issue with with burn mechanics, if you have a token that claims to do a burn, there's two ways to burn. Number one is you send it to a burn wallet, quote unquote. It usually has a bunch of zeros and ends with dead in opposite caps spell. The problem I've always had with that method is it doesn't remove them from the total supply. So they're still in total supply and they're still technically in circulating supply because they exist in, quote, somebody's wallet. It's not really a burn in definition. It removes it as far as availability of supply. It doesn't remove it in the number of supply, which means that the price movement can never increase. There's the other method, which I more prefer, which are used like from the parabolic token. They have it and I called it out where you actually execute a burn contract. So what you're doing is you're executing a function in the contract that executes a burn. You can see this if you go to EtherScan or BSC scan or PolyScan, you can see it'll give a transaction type of burn. That's what I like to see because it completely destroys that token such that it can never be recovered. And if there's no minting, it means the total supply goes down, not just the circulating supply going up. None of the tokens that I've covered with the exception of parabolic that I can recall on the top of my head uses the actual burn contract, the actual execution of a burn. They always use the burn wallet and it's always driven me nuts because I see that the price never benefits from what they're talking about. Even ship ship does not use the burn contract. They use the burn wallet. The reason that this one stood out is number one is almost because almost every token does the same thing. If this case goes and they win that aspect of the case all these other tokens you guys better be a little bit worried because it means that each and every one of you are eligible to be sued because you're doing the same thing wrong which is you're not really doing it a burn you're just sending it to somebody's wallet and that's not truly a burn and you guys have been misled which means if it's true and i don't know it is or isn't i'm saying if it is pretty much every last one of them are gonna have to do a migration to a new contract because there's no way you can introduce it if you still have ownership of the contract, but the majority of them purposely renounced it because of the outcry from the community due to the please renounce, please renounce, please renounce because they don't trust them. That one's huge. I like that one. I totally like that one um, as a question that we should answer definitively from the purpose of burn and creating scarcity. What really needs to be the answer there? There's a second bullet, which has been a problem for me. You've heard me is Schiller's. And the use of shillers and what that's doing is causing a pump. And then what they do is they will send tokens to these shillers and then the shillers will just dump the tokens. And then of course, everybody who bought in suffers. That's huge. If we can answer that question, it'll finally resolve my biggest concern with the use of shillers, which is why are they allowed to tank projects like this? The next one is about overpromise under deliver. Everybody who's listening to this, that's heard me cover Saitama. And guess what? I will include them on the title of this one because I think it's important. One of their bullets is about the fact it's actually a double bullet, but it's one problem. They were talking about the roadmap and when the wallet, the safe moon wallet was going to be done, when the NFT exchange was going to be done, when the safe moon swap was going to be done. And pretty much none of those were met timely. None of those were met as promised. And because they would overpromise, the they would create pumps and then they would dump and the celebs would dump and everybody's harmed by the project. And anybody who's been in Safe Moon since one of the earliest versions of that token understands there was a lot of issues 
a lot of issues around Safe Moon for years. It took them years to get to the point where everything was at least reasonably stable and clean. So nothing that's being stated is false. These things happen. The question that we're trying to answer in court, I believe, is what's the legality of the fact that these failures happen? Do these plaintiffs have a case to be made against the defendants, including celebrities, that you guys basically didn't show up? You basically didn't show up and use shillers to create artificial pumps and dumps. Because, again, in the non-crypto outside the bubble world, these would be illegal things. You were not able to do what they can do in the crypto world. So having a case like this sets at least some precedent that there's some conversation that we should try to get some decisions around whether these are acceptable or not. So I love that they're at least having the conversation. One of the bullets was that they brought on somebody and this person was tasked with debunking the concerns raised by the investors, including an audit from an audit firm called HashX, which I never, I never saw the HashX audit, but this guy came back and, and attacked the audit and said, no, that's not true. That's not true. So HashX was trying to call out some of these things as concerns, but this guy who they hired was there to discredit the audit result, which is kind of unheard of. And again, those listening at Satama will understand that there have been tons of influencers hired by the Satama team to discredit some of this information where Satama has failed too. So it helps us set some precedent to say, did Satama do the same thing as SafeMoon? If so, Satama is at risk. And SafeMoon built an LLC just like Satama did. There's a lot of parallels there that I think Satama should be aware and concerned of because these are things that Satama struggles with too. They've had the burn situation going on. They've had the shillers going on. They've had the pumps and dumps going on. They had the Vegas event, failed Vegas event, November 13th. They've had roadmaps where they've not met true. And those that keep saying, well, they're working it deep, deep, deep. At the bottom line, they said a thing was going to be available November 13th. They didn't deliver it. Then they said it would be delivered in December. It didn't really truly get until around January. And then what we have isn't really truly it. They're just now getting to the point of delivering something by their own admission. It will now be released. That's misrepresentation. And it created artificial pumps and dumps, which they should be aware and they should be following this case very closely because they are an LLC too, which means they are subject to the same risk depending on the outcome of this uh, situation. And they talked about the Safe Moon wallet, which is very comparable to the Cytomask, saying that, nope, the Safe Moon team hyped up the launch of this thing. They were going to deliver it on this day. And most of the people on the on the team said there's no way we're going to deliver it on time. And they actively told people it's not going to work. And then, of course, Satama had the same problem. This is, goes on and on. There's a lot more. There's all, there's like there's tons that they're claiming here. And they kind of centralized the blame around the, the, the boss, the head guy that's just creating hype. And he's not going to the deeps to verify what exactly is the, the problem and the risk? And, da, 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 da. and he allayed concern saying, you know, people get sued all the time. It's a normal thing. If you if you hear what I just said, Russ on the Satama team has done the same thing. And people get sued all the time and it is what it is. And we're not a thing. Satama has done a lot of what's happening with SafeMoon. And I'm calling out the parallel because I think it's important. SafeMoon is one of the very few alt cryptos that is comparable in strategy to what Satama's been trying to do in the form of creating an LLC, putting a face on the business, using shillers to shill the product, uh, unrealistic promises about a wallet and a swap that are not met, 
the pumps and the dumps and all these different things. They've done the same things that Safe Mood is now being accused of and they're in court for, which creates a risk, I think, for Satama based on the outcome of this. So I think this is, I think it's telling. And it's something worth watching if you're in Satama or you've been following Satama. I recommend you follow the Safe Moon case and read it. Actually read it. Don't take my word for it because I haven't made any direct statements. I've said, according to what I see, Satama is is at risk for some of this same. And that means that depending on the outcome of this case, we might see something similar as far as lawsuits on Satama's side, especially because we had insiders on Satama team like Steve and Willie and others where there's been information released that, you know what, things aren't all hunky-dory over there either. So I recommend, this is my call to action to you, that you follow the Safe Moon case. You can do a search, just say Safe Moon class action, and I'm sure you get tons of results on it. This just started a couple last week, so you're still ahead of it. There's a lot to read in the case, but I think you're going to find that there are close parallels to this and Satama that may make you nervous and be thinking about your investments and remember Please don't invest more than you can afford to lose because you don't know how these things are going to turn out. On another side note, there's a billionaire, and this billionaire, uh, he was a crypto billionaire. This guy, he basically founded a project. The project was called Himalaya Coin. And off this, he made tons of cash. This money, he basically just flossed, to give it a term. (laughs) This one... This one should make you laugh, okay? Because if you read this, and I encourage you, I, I encourage you to read into this Himalaya coin and this dude, Guo Wen Gui. Uh, he's from China, and he, so he, re, he releases this coin, and he releases this exchange, Himalayan exchange. The coin can only be traded on his exchange. So number one. Number two, he releases this music video, and it's him puffing a cigar in slow motion and showing all this footage, stock footage of people partying and all this other stuff, flossing. He's basically flossing like, yep, this is going to the moon and this is going to be rich. It's going to make you rich. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Recently, it's reported dude had less than $100,000 to his name, even though he has tons of debts. He really didn't make a lot of money on this. Apparently, the reason that this was interesting, apparently there was a luxury yacht worth $28 million. This yacht is where Steve Bannon was arrested. Steve Bannon, (laughs) and trust me, it gets deeper, folks. Steve Bannon is arrested on this yacht. This is in 2020. This is after, this is immediately after the chatter with Steve Bannon in the January, I'm pretty sure this is right after January 6th this happened. And Steve Bannon gets arrested on the yacht. This guy, he goes into exile because he allegedly it owned the yacht, but then turned out he said he didn't own the yacht, but he allegedly owns the yacht. So he's somehow connected to this whole super wealthy thing going on. He's been depicted with this guy. So we know that he's somehow in cahoots with this. But he had he's been up on since 2014. And he's been up for fraud and for you Satama folks and Russ, FYI, uh kidnapping, money laundering, bribery selling unregistered cryptos, securities. I'm talking securities. Uh, He has a social media application, which is a different social media platform he's involved. So he had his own exchange. He does this token. He borrows a bunch of money, never pays it back. He does all this fancy, you know, yachts and all this stuff, flossing all this 
stuff and then owes nothing. He basically owes nothing. Pretty much in summary, he takes out all these loans and people lend him this money. It's almost like, I don't want to say Bernie Madoff because that's not even equivalent. It's it's weird because you have all of this business where you create a coin that doesn't really, there's no fundamentals behind it. You create an exchange and with this exchange, it's the only way you can do this token. And you say, nope, it's tightly controlled and it's the only way you can get it. That's what creates the exclusivity, which is what creates the scarcity. And it's pegged to the U.S. dollar and it's 20% backed by gold reserves. You do this amazing sales pitch of this thing. And you you then floss. You borrow money and you floss all this stuff. You don't pay it back. Like, I can't even imagine why somebody would think this is a good idea. Because if you borrow that much money with no intention of paying it back, they're going to come after you. Uh, somebody's going to come after you. So I encourage you to read up on it because it's hilarious. This this uh, this Guo Wenggui, just search Himalaya coin and check it and see. Um, the reason this came up on the radar is because very recently he actually declared bankruptcy. Again, I want to stress, he never really had any money to begin with. He was flossing and he was borrowing money that wasn't really his. There's no way to know what he was spending it on. We don't know where this money went. We're talking close to a billion dollars, I'm pretty sure. Nobody knows where this money went. Nobody knows what the heck's going on. He apparently had a bunch of property, but then doesn't really own it because his assets are less than 100000 it's an intriguing story. I think it's worth watching because this it's going to be interesting to see if anything happens to this guy because what should happen based on what he did, anytime he would have taken a loan from a bank or anybody else, he's taking money from those who deposited assets into the bank because the bank uses depository assets in order to extend the loans. The bank has to make good on that and the countries have to make good on that. And this is worldwide. This is all over the world. And then 500 million some odd dollars on unregistered securities. This is going to be a huge deal at some point. I just don't know how large, but it's something that's worth taking a look at. And then our last news story. I don't even say it's news because that's not really fair, but it's worth, it's worth taking a look, I guess, at when you get some spare time. Social media has been reaching out with the Ukraine situation, and they've offered some donations to the Ukraine military. Now, the, the problem... I'll say challenge, not problem. The challenge with this gesture is it's taking sides. And part of the problem with war is when you start taking sides and you do donations that support war, it reminds me of the, I believe it's Star Trek Deep Space Nine, I believe it is. Or it might be original series or maybe one. No, it's a movie. It's a movie. I think it's one of the movies. Star Trek Insurrection. Pretty sure it's Star Trek Insurrection. It's one of the movies that... They were talking about, and Star Trek original series, I think, and I think too, they were talking about, you know, do we provide weapons to the other side so that both sides have an equal playing field, or is that a violation of our of our ethics? So when you do donations that are basically taking sides, and we're doing it because of social media's influence, it's a byproduct of the influence of media, social media, and media mainstream, where they're slanting the narrative one direction or another, and I don't, I personally don't, my opinion, don't support those type of donations being done because it may make things worse because the governments might assume that the sentiment from Western countries is in support of those donations. Does that make sense? Like if you said, you know what, all these NATO countries should just do donations to Ukraine. 
how would Russia perceive that? Would Russia perceive that as, okay, well, you're basically not on our side and you're supporting Ukraine. Maybe we should just go and take the Chernobyl and drop some nukes on all of you guys. That's, I, I, if I were any way advising the current administration, now, of course, you know, the president would be asleep when I'm talking to him, but if I were in an advisory position there, I would say we need to immediately denounce this. We need to tell Twitter and others this will not be supported. If they do it without our knowledge, we can't stop it. But I don't think social media should promote this type of donation type thing. And we should not censor, but we should strongly discourage any messaging that appears to take a side. We can stress an opinion and say, I personally am supportive of Kiev because that was my home country, right? That's that's my home city. But I don't think that donations, I think it's dangerous, personal opinion. I understand why they're doing it, but we don't know what what part of that is influenced by mainstream media slanting the narrative in one direction to say, you know, Russia's evil, Russia's evil. Russia's doing what Russia feels is in its best interest. How we feel about it is how we feel about it. I'm simply saying that I don't want to see that individuals try to convince the West quote, quote unquote, to take a side. I don't want to be perceived as taking a side. Obviously the United States doesn't want the war and I don't think anybody does and I do think the United States wants peace in Ukraine but we also need to talk about the ulterior motives of NATO in why they want that peace and why they've been trying to impose those values and that's a different conversation I'm just saying from this donation thing on social media I don't personally support it I think it's a concern from my perspective hopefully it doesn't turn into something hopefully it does not because I wouldn't want to see that the crypto industry is further damaged and I wouldn't want to see other countries harmed because of a good gesture. Of course, the entire industry is down, so it's not exclusive to you and it's not anything that you only are noticing. Everything's down. Stocks are down. Crypto's down. Sentiment is harmed. People don't know where this is going to go. And then, of course, anything that happens internationally affects you, even if it's not one of the countries in NATO, even if you're not anywhere in the Europe, even if you're not anywhere associated with the war zone. It all has broad-reaching ripple effects, which is why people didn't want it, and they were hoping that President Biden was you know, cognizant enough to be able to avert it, but he's not a good diplomat, and we ended up where we ended up. So be aware that there's going to be some additional fallout from this, and I'm not going to tell you what to do about it with crypto at all. I'm going to tell you that we should expect some red for a while, at minimum, until we start seeing some more diplomacy take hold, if we see it, I'm hopeful that other countries are able to do a better job than what Biden's been able to do, but it's not looking good because even Boris Johnson's jumping on the bandwagon. But I'm hopeful that other countries are able to step up and do it. Otherwise, we're going to have to see a resolution to this thing, however it plays out. And I'll talk about an underdog token really quick. I'm not going to spend significant amounts of time on it because I think it's moot in this current uh, sphere of what's going on, but I will spend a little bit of time on one that caught my eye. I'm not going to go beyond the fundamentals, though, because, again, I think with the current situation, it's it's uh, premature. This token is Kuma Inu, K-U-M-A at kumatoken.com. Kuma is on the Ethereum chain. Kuma, one thing I want to give them kudos for at the front of this, Kuma has arguably, I would say, the second most impressive white paper I've ever seen. 
they go to significant amounts of detail about the project and how this works and what it is. Kuma is a V2 project and they archive the history of what happened in V1, which launched back in 2021 and then migrated to a true descent project and said, okay, we're doing a Kuma V2. We're going to start full decentralization and they're doing a new token and build utility around it and a DEX and everything else. So it's, it's mature as a project. It's not brand new. It's been around for a while as the people have been around for the while. And it is associated very closely with in the liquidity side of things. It's associated with stable coins on the back end. So as I was looking through the white paper and again, being very impressed with the white paper and the explanation of how they've described what they're doing, I'm going to cover the points about the token, but what stood out to me is that they put a lot of thought into what they want the investor experience to be. When you go to the, the site and you see exactly how they are positioned and how they're built, there's not the same level of confusion and complexity you might see with other tokens. And they stress, you know, we try to keep it as simple as possible. We don't have crazy functions. There's one quadrillion supply. They burn the liquidity straight off, you know, straight out. And devs don't hold wallets. Now, when you look into the deep innards of it, they don't give you any details about things like tax, right? They don't give you anything about reflections. They say you stake and we farm, do yield farming, turn passive income, and we do decentralized trading. So you can do longs and shorts, which is very close to what a real exchange would do. They're listed on centralized exchanges, which means you don't have to spend the gas. So already you have more expansion than you might expect from a token built like this. But what really caught my eye beyond all the simplicity and everything else was the volume. The liquidity is over 5 million, close to 6 million. Daily volume is 2 million. Now I want to put that in perspective here. When you have a liquidity of close to 6 million, with a volume of 2 million in the current specter, in the current scope, in the current state of the world. That means that there's true interest in the project and it's, it's buys and sells. It's not like everybody's just buying, buying, buying with unreasonable levels of growth and you don't see significant levels of dump either. It's a strong, healthy balance volume. It's not the usual volume where something just pumps and pumps and pumps unreasonably and it's not significant dumps like you're seeing with Satama. It's a healthy balance of buys and sells. And the reason that's important is if you have a token that is a healthy balance of buys and sells, it generally means there's confidence in the token as a project, that there's confidence in buying into it, and there's confidence to sell for profit because of the confidence of, of buying and the value persistence it's able to sustain its value in a strong way, even though it doesn't have a lot of the utility yet that it should have as part of the roadmap that it's kind of working on. The decks that they're kind of working to build isn't fully 100% yet. They're working on it, but it's not 100%. Being available on centralized exchanges has helped. Something like this to see this kind of volume for that liquidity is the primary reason I remain frustrated with Paratoken because Paratoken 
arguably has a message in theirs, this is where they should be by now, easily. Because if you think about the target audience, Kuma doesn't really have a target audience per se, but they seem to have done a masterful job in the mechanics of the token, right? That it almost sells itself. Here's what I mean. Going back to the white paper, the ideas of doing limit orders and stop orders, you've heard me talk about that before, is generally for the centralized exchanges. Being able to do it in their decks means that you can keep it truly decentralized, but still benefit from managing profit loss and managing profit gain over time. Being able to do all the different things that you would normally do in the, in the CEX, but not have to be in the CEX, not have to go through KYC, not have to go through all those, is appealing, I would assume, to some investors. Having your value be strengthened using stable coins, which is something Libero also has done, helps the price movement and your basis, what you invest in the project, you can trust it. You can bank on it. When you trade and you transact, you have more confidence in it, and it should, in concept, remain reasonably stable even during the disruptions we're seeing, like with the Russia-Ukraine situation. This is reflected in some of the price movement that I see over the past period. It's had a very healthy amount of buys and sells, as opposed to the significant level of loss that we see with other tokens, close to 30,000 holders. This one has confidence in the investor community that very few other tokens have. And the farming seems to actually be working since they farm multiple pools, including some pools that you wouldn't expect, like Leash from the SHIB ecosystem. A lot of the stuff that they're working on with the vault, uh, Kuma Vessel is for governance. So they're working on a DAO. They're working on a lot of different things. Add more utility for the users to support this. Here's the one thing of Kuma token after everything else I liked. Here's the one thing that I say I didn't appreciate from them. It seems like they fixed it in V2. If they'd like to come on the show and confirm that, I would love to hear it. But I want to call it out because it was on the V1, and I don't know how it affects uh, V2. With V1, apparently, they sent half the tokens towards that idiot Vitalik. Same thing SHIB did, and same thing IED Finance did. And you know me, I don't like when they do that because he doesn't care about these projects. He's openly said he doesn't want these dog tokens. He said this. So I don't know why they sent those to him. I don't know if they actually sent it to him directly or they set it aside for him. Hopefully, if they set it aside and didn't send it, they don't plan to because of what he did to ID Finance with the liquidity on that side, tank that token, it's never recovered since. I'm assuming, based on the price and value I see, either they resolved it with V2 and got the money back, or they never sent it to him and they decided not to because the price I see now is in a strong position. Again, if they'd like to come on the show and clarify that, I would love to hear and see this. I'm quoting from the white paper that they said they set it aside toward the idiot and hopefully they didn't send it to him and hopefully they decide not to send it to him because I don't think he deserves it because he's been anti-quote dog coins since it launched, all of these and I don't think he deserves it. We should stop doing that because he doesn't care about you guys. Anyhow, that's kumatoken.com for Kuma Inu. It is on the Ethereum chain. If you want to take a look at it, I do encourage it. I think it's a strong project. I think they seem to have a good 
you know, they seem to care about the investors and they seem to have a good design for what they're doing. Uh, I don't have any concerns at all about anything other than the whole Vitalik situation, which hopefully uh, became a non-issue at some point because the price movement seems strong now and the mechanics seem like they're doing their job. They're having some challenges like everybody else, but nowhere near the severity that I would expect given the current state of the world. Anyhow, take a look at it. That's all I got for you today. I know we got some challenging times right now. I would encourage you to hold the line. Always, always make sure that your investments are not putting you out and make sure that your investments are in a position where you can pull out when you need to, if you need to, because you just never know. If you're sitting in a wallet, you should be okay as long as it's a wallet that's not connected to this situation in uh, Russia or Ukraine. So if you're in SafePal, which is what we use, or some other wallet, I would recommend that. Please keep up to date on our various podcasts, CryptoTalkRadio.net. All of them are listed there. Any comments, feedbacks, questions, or suggestions are welcome. This episode will go up today, and we may have our next guest coming up next week or the week after uh, that I mentioned is in NFTs after speaking with her today. I will let you know if and when that will go. This is this is somebody I just encountered, didn't realize she was so deep into it. And I think you'll be you'll be intrigued by what she's achieved. Keep tabs on that. I do encourage you to follow the Russia-Ukraine situation, even if at a distance, because I think it's important that you are aware of what the heck's going on uh, and how it affects your crypto investments. The other last point that I will call out with some of these tokens and some of these shills and some of these things, I think the sentiment is changing in the business where people are falling less for these traps. I hope that the information I provide when I do the analysis of these tokens is helpful for you to create your own thought process. What are you going to look for in these tokens or these NFTs even that will give you assurance of what's worth your money? And then once you find projects worth your money, not giving too much of it and making sure that you are always making smart decisions, your family comes first, they should be taken care of. Please don't YOLO in anything. Distrust everything, including me. Independently verify. Create your own decision process. It's going to give you a stronger portfolio and make you stronger in the crypto business. I'll see you guys next week, Tuesday. <laughs>